0: The ShepNAS podcast begins now. Welcome to the ShepNAS podcast. I'm Joe and I'm your host today. And if you are watching instead of just listening, you will notice that things might look a little bit different today. Uh, I'm in my office and Rob is coming in via a Teams meeting and he is down in Hocking Hills. At our Hocking Hill Retreat Center, and we are in the process of getting some cabins built down there. That's why he's down there, but that's not what today's episode is about. Today, we are talking about our message series seven from uh, the book of Revelation. We've been in chapter two, and we've been looking at some of the churches that Jesus has been talking to and addressing, and we're going to pick up that discussion now with Pastor Rob. How's it going? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Doing great. Doing great. I'm actually enjoying being able to come in and sit down and do the podcast. <laughs> it's been a crazy week.
0: So, yeah, we'll extend it to a longer episode so they can get some more work done while you're in here.
1: <laughs> that, yeah, they'll probably get a lot of work done while I'm in here. So that's great. So what, what's yeah, the been, progress been right way. now? What's the progress? Well, yeah, we're doing, uh, so we're building a total of eight cabins. They'll hold about 20 people in each cabin, uh, kind of like a dormitory type, style thing. Um, they have a bathroom. Each cabin has a bathroom and a counselor area. And we're, um, we've are got two work teams down here, one team assigned to each cabin. And so we're working on two, trying to get two done before the the snow starts flying and finish up the rest in the spring. But it's going good. It's going good. The big challenge for us has been the trusses. They're, they're 24 feet wide and 12 feet high. And so when you start lifting something up, it's already 12 feet in the air and you have to get it up another 8 or 10 feet. It's pretty high and we don't really have the equipment to do it. So as in, uh, as as in a typical camp style, we're modifying <laughs> all kinds of things and nice. doing things that are probably not safe. But anyway, it's going it's going great. It's going well. So super maybe great. a little
0: extra prayer today for the teams that are working right now that uh, yeah. maybe you got that new drone. Maybe you can just attached to the top of the truss and help do a little lifting yeah that way That'd be i great. did
1: it's funny i did i did fly the drone up and then put it on kind of just stance you know standby not standby it just was staying still and recording as we were lifting up a wall uh it was a 32 foot wall that we were trying to lift up and then put down on these little bolts and um after we did it, I re- I realized I probably shouldn't do that anymore because I'm just incriminating ourselves. If there was just something that would happen, so we
0: don't need <coughs> we don't need any evidence.
1: <laughs> no, no, none at all. all you right. can't tell. You can't make up a good story if there's video evidence.
0: Yes. So, um, in the meantime, you've been preparing a sermon, and yeah. uh, obviously, we're recording this a couple days before you're going to deliver, but. Um, we're hearing this after your message on Sunday, so yeah. I guess let's let's dive a little bit into uh, what what you're preaching on Sunday.
1: Yeah, so we're in a series called the Seven uh, Churches, the Seven, and we're talking about the seven different churches that Jesus visited um, in Asia Minor in the Book of Revelation. So John had a revelation or a vision, and in the vision, Jesus told John to write down the things that he had seen, which he saw in the vision, the things that were, and the the things that were are these seven churches that Jesus visits, and then the things that are going to come. And that's the kind of prophetic stuff. So we're in the seven churches. And today we're talking about the third church was the church in Pergamum. And these churches are actually kind of on a route. um, And so he visits the third church. um, And in each of these um, things, each of these letters to the churches, it's important to know who's writing because in book of revelation, there are three speakers. There's Jesus, there's an angel that Jesus speaks. He delivers a message through, and then there's an elder in one of the, one of the parts of the vision as well. But in this particular letter that Jesus writes to the church in Pergamum, it's important to know that he's the author of it. Um, And we know that because in Revelation 2, 12, when he begins that passage of scripture, he says to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write. These are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. And then back in John chapter 1, or Revelation chapter 1, I keep calling it John because John's the one who wrote it. But it's actually Revelation. Um, Jesus refers to himself in the vision that Jesus saw was of, uh, the vision that John saw was of Jesus who had a uh, sharp, double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And so this is referencing back to chapter 1 where Jesus is. And of course the double-edged sword is figurative and represents the word of God. So, so Jesus is saying that um, this message is from the church of Pergamum and it's got a very important message. And it's interesting that this is the first time that Jesus doesn't give like an encouraging um, introduction of himself. The others were really encouraging, like I know what you're doing, I see what's going on or whatever. This one is like, I'm the one who has the sharp double-edged sword in my mouth and that's because Jesus is going to bring a, a message of judgment and and potential execution if the church doesn't change their ways. Um, and so it's really interesting how all of that works out. Um, the church in Pergamum was compromising uh, lots of things in and as a result facing imminent judgment. So when Jesus introduces himself, it's like he's the one who has the sword. Um, and of course, the sword is figurative for, for the word of God. So. Yeah, it was an interesting introduction, and each time I also think it's important to note that when Jesus introduces himself in um, the, the letters, the introduction is very pertinent to the message that he's about to deliver. Hmm. Um, and so, okay. in some of the messages, it was, you know, it was really encouraging. The last one was really encouraging. There was no concerns that Jesus had for the church, but this one, the church was facing compromise, and so Jesus says, you need to change or I'm going to bring judgment. And so his introduction is like, I have a double-edged sword coming out of my mouth. And um, that was the way they were introduced. So it's kind of like, okay, we better listen close to what he has to say because th- this is fairly important.
0: Yeah, that's uh, it's, it's quite an image. And kind of one of the things that I find interesting about it is we know that a lot of this language is figurative. Um, and part of the reason why we know that a lot of this language is figurative is because Jesus himself in the scripture is telling us, <clears throat> excuse me, like when he refers to the stars, he says the stars are, and and then yeah. he, and he talks about and the candlesticks are. So it, each time yeah. he's saying, like, here's the symbolism and, and here's what it was. So that kind of at least yeah. gives us a mode to be operating in to realize that a lot of the images we are seeing are symbols of some, you know, a spiritual truth that's being visualized. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. Well, I think the thing that one thing about this is really interesting is that um, later on in Revelation, we'll see that one of the, one of the things that Jesus does is um, he makes war um, against his enemies, and the weapon that Jesus uses is the word of God. And so in Revelation 19, it says, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Um, And and I think it's interesting to think that all the nations have lots of different weapons. Uh, Christ's enemies have lots of different weapons that they would use. um, But Jesus is going to be able to defeat all of them with just the words spoken from his mouth because the words that come from his mouth have such incredible and great power. And, you know, you can go all the way back to, you know, what Jesus says about the word, that it's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And, and Jesus says, you know, the word of God is living and uh, or it is, all the scripture is God breathed, which comes from his mouth. So it's really, there's a lot of symbolism and imagery. And if you dig into it, it's just, it's fascinating. And it's just so cool to, to think about how um, Jesus has given us his word and the power that exists in his word if we will align our lives with it, it just brings great power. It's it's, it's amazing.
0: Amen. So, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the church, uh, Pergamum, about who's receiving this message.
1: Yeah. So this is this is this letter is written to the Christians who live in Pergamum, and I think it's kind of helpful to understand a little bit about the city. The city uh, of Pergamum was uh, considered to be Asia's greatest city. And had been the capital for 250 years um, when John received the revelation. So it was a very important city. Um, it was also an impressive looking city. It was actually built on a large hill that was a thousand feet above sea level and above the plain. And so when you are coming into the city on the plain uh, in in the plains, you could look up and you could literally see the city built on the side of a of a mountain of a of, of thousand feet up. And it was it was pretty massive and impressive and uh, kind of um, uh i don't know impressive i guess is the word um it also was uh, an important center of culture and learning it had the world's second largest library uh and um it it had the library had 200,000 um, handwritten volumes um and so they didn't they weren't printing books on the printing press the gutenberg press right. had not been printed so all books were just handwritten copied it, copies and they had 200,000 uh, copies of books there. So there were a lot of people who were learning and philosophers and scholars and that kind of stuff there. Um, so it was it a was really big deal. And also uh, there were several temples dedicated to the worship of Greek gods that were there. Um, but the thing about Pergamum that was the most challenging for Christians was that the primary religion in Pergamum was the imperial cult, which was the worship of emperors. And so each of the um, it, was, it was possible that uh, a Roman emperor, if he did a good job, uh, could be declared um, <laughs> divine after their death, which would elevate them to the status of a god. Um, and this was uh, happening in Jesus' Jesus's time, very close to the time of Jesus' death. Pergamum built the first temple to one of these um, emperors, um, and, and the people were demanded to worship them. Uh, and remember, we were talking about Smyrna last week uh, in Smyrna. The emperor required a an annual sacrifice um, right. for people to make. Um, but in Pergam and, and so their their danger there was somewhat serious. But in Pergamum, it was multiplied significantly um, because it was it, there was a daily pressure, not just an annual sacrifice that needs to be made. There was this daily pressure to go to the temple, to worship the the emperor, um, and it was so widespread. And so this was probably one of the biggest dangers that the church in Pergamum had was um, the threat of execution or persecution for not worshiping one of the emperors. So it was was kind of a scary time for them.
0: (laughs) That's a tough place to be. Um, Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll start talking about some of the things that Jesus had to commend for the church.
1: On the first Tuesday of each month, Shepherd Church Kahana Campus meets at 6.30 p.m. for a time of prayer and what we call Ignite. We believe prayer is the spark for everything else we do in our walk of faith and as a church. Join us this Tuesday at 6.30 p.m.
0: Well, we're back and we've been talking about the church in Pergamum as Jesus is addressing them in the book of Revelation chapter 2. And uh, we're now getting into the message that Jesus had for them. And typically, he would start with some good news and then some bad news. And so we're going to start with the good news.
1: Yeah, that's the best way to start, isn't it? So uh, when Jesus begins commending the Christians there, the first thing he says is, I know where you live. And then he qualifies, he says, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true. Um, and so what Jesus is saying is that um, the believers in Pergamum were faithful despite the challenges they faced because of their location. And so I think it's important to kind of dig into this. What, you know, what does it mean to, to uh, when Jesus says where Satan has his throne? <coughs> <coughs> and before we do that, <coughs> I think that it's important to note that the commendation that Jesus mentioned was that the believers stayed there like they were living in a really difficult and challenging place, yet they stayed there. It would be kind of like us, uh, maybe a modern day example for us would be when you live in a place and the neighborhood turns really bad and there's lots of crime and lots of things happening that that make you feel un, uh, unsafe or whatever and people move out of it and then the neighborhood gets worse when the people who are providing some stability move out. <clears throat> what Jesus was saying is that the place where they were living was really, really bad. Like It was like Satan's throne, and yet they, the believers stayed, and the reason that they stayed was they wanted to be a light in a dark place. And Jesus is like, that's great. I want you in the world but not of the world, and you need to be there to make a difference. And so Jesus was commending them for, for staying in a very difficult place to be the light of the world. But you know, then he described yeah. the. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say that may seem a little counterintuitive to us uh, initially because I think at least in our modern Christian walk, uh, we have a tendency to think when when things are become really immoral, when things become really sinful or bad or an area is kind of overtaken, like we – we maybe have a tendency to just want to retreat and say you know we shouldn't be in this area because this is a bad area or we shouldn't be around this yeah. kind of activity and and in fact not only is he not criticizing them he's actually commending them saying good for you for yeah. staying there so
1: yeah they are yep. staying yep.
0: there uh does it do they have any more good news
1: well, um, one of the things I think was interesting is that Jesus described the place as where Satan has his throne. Um, so that's a fairly um, serious accusation to make sure. about a city, right? Like, yeah, this is where Satan's throne is. And so there's a lot of try- you know theologians trying to understand what does that mean. Um, and there are kind of three things that I think most theologians came up with. One of them was that um, – that that um, there was a massive and impressive altar of Zeus there, um, and when I say the word altar, the word altar isn't isn't a good word. It was l- literally like a gigantic temple it was 100. The court was 120 feet by 112 feet. Was colonnaded on all sides. The podium inside there was 18 feet high, and there was a frieze. I think is how you say it, which is basically a sculpted mural all the way around the the base of this structure that was 446 feet long. That's like a, more than a football field, almost one and a half football fields long, a sculpted mural that was it, it considered to be the greatest work of Hellenistic art, but it literally um, depicted the battle of the gods and the giants, and of course Zeus in that, in and that, in that was the one that overcame. So it was this massive place. Um, and uh, I, I, on Sunday, I put a picture of it up on the screen. And it's huge, like it rivals the temple that was in Jerusalem. And so there was this altar there of Zeus. People were going there worshiping, making sacrifices. Uh, others thought that maybe it was referencing the, um, the widespread worship of a God called Asclepius. Um, and Asclepius was the God of uh, healing in the, in, the, in the pagan God of healing in the ancient world. And if someone was sick and they obviously weren't going to Jesus or whatever, they would go to this god, to this temple, and um, Asclepius was depicted as a snake. Um, and And in the temple, there were non-poisonous snakes that that were slithering around all over the place. And people would come to this temple to be, if they, if they were sick and wanted to find healing, they would come and they would either sleep on the floor of the temple or lie down in, on the floor of the temple, hoping that one of the snakes would slither over them or touch them, and that when that happened, they believed that it was the god of the who was healing them. Now, I I I hate snakes. Like I don't even <laughs> like little ones that are like like cute or whatever. I can't imagine going into a temple that was full of them and laying on the ground and letting them slither over me. Like you just got to be, you got to. Ha- I yeah, I just this is not good for me. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that was one of the things that they did, and and I think that a lot of people could could draw a connection between this god of asclepios who is depicted as a snake and satan because you know satan came to adam and eve in the garden as a serpent um he's depicted as a as a serpent in the in revelation later on in this actual book that john receives uh the revelation from and so so some some uh maybe think that that's what jesus meant when he said that um but others identify it with this imperial cult which demanded residents to worship the emperor um, and again, this posed the greatest threat to Christians. There were no Christians that were ever executed for not worshiping any of the pagan gods such as Zeus or Apollos or Aphrodite. No, they were never executed for that, but they were executed for not worshiping um, the, uh, being part of the imperial cult and worshiping one of the emperors. They could be put to death for that. Hmm. And so many people think this was probably what Jesus was referring to when he said, this is, you know, this is where the throne of Satan is, or where Satan lives, or whatever. Um, and so, anyway, in the midst of that craziness, Jesus commends the believers for being true to his name. They're like, you, you're staying true to me in the midst of a place where you're demanded to worship someone else, and if you don't, you could lose your life. Um, that's just a high, high level of commitment, right? To know that, you know, if I choose to not worship whatever God is being uh, advocated. and I I stay true to my relationship with God, I could lose my life. That's a high level of commitment. Um, And then even Jesus says, you know, you you held true. And then he says, um, uh, even you did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas. Um, And Antipas was um, an early Christian leader in the church uh, who was martyred and kind of made out to be an example Um, and so they took one of the leaders in the early church, they, they used him as an example and said, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't, uh, worship the emperors, uh, and they, and they martyred him. And it wasn't just like they, they, they hung him or stabbed him with the sword or whatever. They actually roasted him to death inside a brass bull during the reign of Domitian. And we've been talking about him as one of the emperors. I mean, it was it was just incredible, and Jesus is like, you—you've remained true to that. You've stayed strong. You've stayed true, um, and he was—he was—he was really impressed by their commitment to continue to stay true to him in the face of death in a place that was so evil, in a place where where Jesus literally described it as the place of Satan's throne. So yeah, he had a lot of good things to say about them, and what an amazing faith that it must have been to be willing to stay true. Um, in the face of, of the possibility of losing your life I mean you have to commend that and and um, I, that's what Jesus did so he commended them huge for all of those things as well.
0: you know as you're just reading that passage of scripture um, from Revelation 2:13 and it really just struck a chord with me that you know Jesus is speaking from from heaven from a spiritual realm when he's giving this vision. And this message to John, and for him to be just so matter-of-factly talking about things that are happening in the world that they are, that these believers are living in. So, like, he was aware of everything that's happening. He's like, "Yeah, I remember how you behaved when Antipas was martyred. I I, I saw yeah. that. And what um, yeah. uh, to me just." what an encouragement to know that, you know, Jesus is, is letting them know in a very subtle way that, hey, I, I saw all that, and I saw how you reacted, and I saw how you held firm during all of that. And uh, so, I guess, you know, maybe sometimes when we're wondering, is, does Jesus see that I'm, I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to do, um, that we can take some comfort here?
1: yeah yep. Yeah. well, in Jesus used in verse thirteen, he says, I know where you live and in the other churches he says, I know what you've seen, I know what you've done, I know what you've been through and and that word, uh, and I've said this the last couple of weeks, so I didn't say it again this time, but is is Oida. The Greek word is oida, which means a complete and full knowledge. Like he knows it all. Like you said, he's seen it all. He knows it all, nothing gets by him and and he was impressed by their commitment in the face of such incredible persecution that they were experiencing
0: amen well we're gonna leave it there for today and um maybe a little bit of a high note that even though they were living in a horrible place that uh jesus was recognizing that they had stand firmed and that they were believers uh i have a feeling though that there may be some concerns that he has to address but we're, (laughs) we're going to take a look at that tomorrow so um We want to thank you all for joining us for this episode, and if you want to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, keep up with things that are going on at the church, you can also reach out to us by emailing podcast at shepnaz.org. For Pastor Rob, I'm Joe. Have a great day. This podcast is a production of the Shepherd Church of the Nazarene, Gahanna, Ohio. Email to podcast at shepnaz.org and let us know what you think.